All right, how's it going? It's Matt and you're listening to episode 45 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports podcast, the podcast where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. And yes, this week, that carefully chosen caveat comes into play. One of the best parts about doing this podcast, actually, is you, you just never know how the conversation is going to go. Appreciating and learning to follow these uh, conversational ebbs and flows has definitely been one of the real pleasures of doing these interviews. Obviously, I've been lucky enough to interview plenty of friends over the months. When the pressure's off, you just have to press play and waffle on. But when you've never met the person and you're basing your chat on uh, a bit of research, there's definitely a bit of an unknown element at play. You know, you, sometimes you might have an interviewee who's pretty guarded or media change and then the, the chat can default to a bit of an A-B exchange, you know, straight question answer. Happy to say, not been many of them, but they have happened, a couple of them. But what you really hope is you can turn up with a set list of topics, some idea where you want to try and steer the conversation, see where it goes of its own volition, all of which is a very roundabout way of saying that today's conversation with ultra runner Ryan Sands is one such example. And uh, yeah, at the risk of repeating myself, I've very much enjoyed this one and I think you're going to like it. So if you don't know Ryan, I guess that probably applies to a few people listening, then here's a brief biography. I mean, you could call him an, an ultra runner, a free runner, an adventure runner, but basically he made his name on events such as the Four Desert Series in which competitors uh, run around 250 miles over seven days in separate races across the Sahara, Gobi, Atacama and Last Deserts, that one's in Antarctica. Uh, and he's since consolidated this by clocking up wins in the world's most prestigious endurance running events, such as the Western States 100 Mile last year. He's also undertaken a succession of uh, phenomenal endurance running feats, which culminated in a fastest known time, FKT, in the parlance, on a version of the Great Himalayan Trail, which he just completed earlier this year with compatriot Rhino Griesel. And that effort saw him race around 1500k across the length of Nepal at an altitude of around four to 5,000 metres in a time of uh, 25 days, four hours and 24 minutes, battling frostbite, star starvation, injury and harrowing mental challenges along the way. Yep, we're dealing with a particular type of athlete here. So I was naturally keen to chat to Ryan about the very specific vagaries of what, what this type of physical activity involves. In particular, how you deal with the inevitable pain that such a feats incur and the question that I think was perhaps best phrased by Morrissey of all people does the mind rule the body or does the body rule the mind I don't know personally but I was hoping Ryan might be able to uh, provide me with a few answers and happily he was really game and we very quickly dug right into the reality of what it takes to operate at this level now as many of you know I bang out comprehensive show notes for each episode if you do want to dig deeper. Funnily enough, I've actually got people now uh, baiting me about the fact they don't read them, which is pretty funny. And uh, the notes for this one definitely give a flavour of the direction the conversation, the conversation takes. The addictive nature of endurance pain, enjoying the dark places and uh, and so on. Now, that's not to say that Ryan's a dark character or that this is a downbeat or challenging conversation. He's really great company, as you can see. And above all, offers a just a unique insight in what it takes to push your body to such a level and how it's possible to keep pushing. And even, if you're so inclined, to enjoy it. So whether you know anything or not about the ultra running scene, and I've got to be honest, I didn't know a huge amount before I started researching this one. Yeah, there's a lot to get stuck into here. 
Recorded this one in London's fashionable Hoxton Square at the uh, end of May 2018. There's, you know, some background ambience to this one. So, yeah, just uh, enjoy that. And enjoy my conversation with athlete Ryan Sands on Mind Over Body. Tom and Ryan, how you doing, Ryan? Yeah, good. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. You're here in London. So how's it been? Yeah, yeah no, it's been uh, awesome. It's some of the best weather I've ever seen in London. So I really enjoyed spending a week or so here. Yeah, we're in sort of mid-May, aren't we? 2018, and you, yeah, you've scored it, no doubt. I mean, it's been unseasonal, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. So where have you been? So yeah, I've been visiting family. So um, I've been, my aunt lives in Surrey, Leatherhead. So I was there for a few days and then also to go visit my gran in Ilchester. So doing the rounds. Yeah, all, all about so a little bit of a road trip through the new forest and then yeah. Yeah, back into to London. Yeah, yeah. And you're with your wife and is it young son? That you've yeah, young yeah. son Max. So I took him to Hamley's yesterday. Okay, then, yeah, nice. He had quite a, quite a jaw running around all the different levels. So how old is he? He's 19 months. So Okay. Still right, quite young, but yeah, um, yeah, but good to bring him on these trips and yeah, yeah, no, it's it's cool for him to kind of a, a lot of my travels. I always try and bring my family along just so they can experience like my travels with me. I think it just makes it that much more rewarding, and you don't kind of don't feel like so isolated and and on your your own at times. Yeah, so would you take them on some of the the expeditions and the races that you do? Yeah, like Vanessa used to travel with me to to most of my races, and now it's. She doesn't travel as much. Um, if she does, does come, it's normally with Max. So it's it's more the the races that are in kind of not super remote areas. So yeah. when I went off and did the the Himalayan project um, earlier this year, um, they they stayed at home. But if, yeah. if like when I go to Chamonix this summer to to run the Ultra Trail Mont Blanc, they'll they'll come along. Yeah. And and join. Yeah, because um, that's a nice trip, isn't it? Bit of yeah. like like autumn in the Alps, like hang out together in Chamonix. No, yeah. it is, and it's a really cool place. So, yeah, yeah. it's good to, good to travel with the family. Yeah, yeah. So the Himalayas, as you mentioned, so this is obviously the, uh, the been the, the the biggest thing you've ever done. Would you say? Yeah, for sure. It's definitely the the craziest, the most out there, and yeah, probably the biggest project and and um, biggest ad- adventure I've done, and I think biggest adventure I'll, I'll ever do. Yeah. So can you for for people listening then? How how do you sum it up? Yeah, it's it's quite a tricky one, I guess. Basically, in, in a nutshell, my friend Rainer Crystal and I ran the the Great Himalaya Trail, um, or part of it, because it's it's a network of, of trails and there are a number of various options you can take. Yeah. But we started on the the western side of Nepal and ran all the way across the the country and finished on on the eastern border. Okay. Um, so started yeah on the Tibetan border, went across um, yeah the, the Himalayas and yeah. So basically traversed the whole of Nepal on, on foot. So it was just over 1,500 kilometers with about 70,000 meters of elevation gain and, and also lost. So um, yeah, it was, was wild. Uh, we were super reliant on, on the local people, stayed in tea houses, um, had a back, we each like, have carried all our stuff in, in a backpack. Yeah. Um, our backpacks probably weighed anything from eight to 10 kgs. Um, we try to go as light as possible to be able to cover as much ground in a day as possible but at the same time they had quite a late winter so we in certain sections we had to take um, ice axes and ropes and stuff um, yeah so yeah it was was pretty wild out there and um, sure. 
a lot of the time was definitely I think we were both out of our comfort zones but I think that's what makes it adventure just that that, that unknown and, and kind of not knowing what you're going to face on a daily basis yeah so the route presumably you said it was 17,000 meters of elevation so what what type of passes are you, are you going over yeah so a lot of it was at high altitude especially yeah. the the first half um, we were kind of the highest pass we went over was just over 5,500 meters okay. um, and we were at yeah for the first two weeks we were at like an average elevation of, of about 4,000 meters or just under yeah they're going over some some higher passes um, so yeah that, that was like pretty wild for me in, in a sense that I'd actually never been over four and a half thousand meters so right. to kind of spend like a prolonged time at, at that kind of altitude going into the project I was a little bit um, that was probably like my, my biggest concern how did you acclimatize for that then because I've, I've spent I've mentioned before we start recording um, I mean I did the trek to base camp but you know what I know from that is you, you do have to acclim- like around 4,000 to 5,000 you, you've got to acclimatize right so yeah um, so yeah at, at home I've got an altitude machine so I did some indoor training sessions on a, on a watt bike and just kind of put the altitude mask on right and linked it up to a machine I, I could do some really like high intensity sessions so that mimics the, the lack of oxygen to your lungs and yes you, and, right and, and also like it makes you I find it definitely like it obviously like it yeah it kind of impl- improves your red blood cell count but I find it really just like because you like you got to breathe so deeply and it like really stresses your breathing system yeah and your breathing system is basically a muscle so you're basically just strengthening that um, so I found that really helped and then also I went up to Lesotho which is a landlocked country within South Africa and yeah. they've got some really big mountains out there so I went up there and, and stayed at um, just over 3,000 meters okay. uh, for two weeks or so just before leaving. So right. I think that also really helped. Yeah. And then also when we started, we started at uh, like 4,000 meters and um, we were there for a couple of days first. So it, it kind of helped that you kind of, kind of slowly kind of progressed into the bigger mountains. So it was something you kind of factored into your route then it's like yeah. s- to start with that so you could acclimatize more yes. as you went along. Yeah. Okay. And how, how did you choose the route then? Because I've looked into it a bit and there's there's, there's a lot of options, aren't there? Yes. You know what I mean? There's like the high routes, the low routes. Yes. There's, there's, you can choose a number of passes that you want to cross. Like, how did you go about that? Yeah, so we did a combination of, of both the high and, and the cultural route. The first half, or just over the first half, was mainly on, on the high route. And then we kind of dropped down to more the cultural route. And Reno and I uh, wanted to, to better and report as fast as no time. So we spoke to him and, and spent a, a lot of time... Um, and he kind of gave us the key checkpoints and places we needed to to cross in order to to make it a fair um, kind of uh, attempt on, on on his his fastest known time. Okay, so you collaborated with him to just kind of yeah. get the info in the room. Yeah. So it's, and then he in turn he spoke to. Jeez, uh, so I've hit a blank now of, of the guy's name. Like before him, and and he got got the route from um, an, another guy. So it's kind of been passed up, and um, yeah. I th- and also really kind of the route also appealed to me in, in terms that it was a combination of both the high and, and the culture route. So we got to spend some like really epic times in really big mountains and kind of in like snow and ice and, and really experience Himalayas. But then at the same time, we also got to, when you're on the culture route, travel through a lot of villages and, and meet a lot of people and, and kind of get a get a feel for Nepal as well so yeah. I felt like we kind of traversed the whole country it wasn't just kind of purely just sitting in, in high mountains and, and right. not seeing too many so the mix was people. important to try and experience more of the whole country yeah f- I, I think for, for me that that was important I felt like I really experienced the whole of Nepal by, by the end of, of yeah. the project 
And was the fastest known time thing important as well? Um, it was quite heavily played in the market, wasn't it, through Red Bull? You yeah, know, it's, <laughs> like looking back at it now, it's, it's, it's secondary, definitely like the, for me, the whole experience of what I got out of the project was, was key. But I think like trying to do it as fast as possible definitely like amplifies the, the experience. I think if yeah. I'd taken 60 days or if we had taken 60 days to do it and really taken our time, I think we would have had a lot different experience. Right. And I think, yeah, that, 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 that experience, like as I mentioned, like we definitely like it defined the, the whole experience and put like parameters on it and, yeah, and yeah. Like, kind of amplified it a lot more, kind of trying to set a fast as no time. But like looking back at it now, I'm not too phased about the time. It's more it's like it's more the experience, yeah, and yeah. Like all the different memories I've got. Yeah, which I'll ask you about in a minute because obviously you had a few fairly hair-raising moments, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. So is there is there a lot of camaraderie in that community? Because you know, it's pretty niche what you do, isn't it? There's it's there's a small number of athletes that are operating at the level that you operate at that could even like really consider doing something like this. So it's really interesting that you you talk about the fact you collaborated with Andrew beforehand. Is that yes. is that something that's that's present you know everyone's quite willing to sort of help each other out and yeah for sure definitely like because as you mentioned it's such a kind of it's quite niche and quite a small community everyone knows knows each other and, and there is like a lot of collabor- collaboration i think as the sport is getting more and more professional and it's, and it's growing it's exploding yeah ultra marathon yeah and, and, and you know those, those types of races are yeah you must have seen it in your career you must have no, seen sure. how they're like the, yeah, the interest like, has just been huge in the last few years hasn't it yeah it's, it's crazy I think when I first started like 11 years or so ago it was really kind of small and niche and now it's grown a lot and even though the whole like fastest no time kind of phenomena has, has really um, taken off so it's, it's getting a little bit more uh, kind of guys are starting to um, you know, not, not give as much info and it, it's getting a little bit more serious bit um, more competitive yeah it's, it's get, getting getting quite co- competitive and, and people are like definitely I think before guys would just go and set a fast no time and someone would, would better it and there were no questions asked now there, there's a lot more kind of questions asked and people have to prove their times with roots or like compare apples to apples and make sure right that they're both like people had the same support and someone didn't have more support or kind of yeah yeah because it's like we said there's so many variables aren't there yes. from the route to the to whether you supported like you say yeah so, so it's getting a little a lot more technical yeah so how was your feet taken by that community was that um yeah i think there was definitely um like like mo- most people were in general were, were really kind of open and, and kind of um kind of gave Rado and I like I guess the best way to say it gave us a, a lot of kudos for it and, and I think it was a crazy adventure there were like one or two people that just just with regards to the Great Himalaya Trail um, in, in the past there's been a lot of uh, because it's like a whole combination of routes there's a high and a low trail um, yeah. or high, high and, and, and a low route or the low and, and the cultural route there's been a lot of debate um, and yeah I, th- I think just uh like when you say the Greater Malaya Trail, like a few people, like say Lizzie Hawker, who's done predominantly the the high route, um, she skipped a couple of 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 the passes when when she did predominantly the high route. But you can't kind of compare her attempt to our attempt, which um, I'm fully in, in agreement with. But I know at times people have just kind of kind of lumped it underneath right. one thing and said like the like the Greater Malaya Trail, and, right. and say we did it in 24 days, and I think Lizzie did it in. 34 35 days um, you can't compare the the two attempts but i think kind of some people do just kind of lump it underneath one one umbrella so yeah 
I think there's obviously, as I mentioned, just trying to be like more specific. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess as like you, like you say, as the scene grows and more and more people get involved, those kind of ethical yes. kind of considerations are going to get more well-rounded, aren't they? More well-formed yeah. because. Yeah, I mean, you guys are basically sort of breaking, literally breaking new ground, aren't you, with these these feats, you know? So yeah. what, what was the, what was, you know, you've had two months now, is it? Since yeah, you got just, back? yeah, it must have been about two months now. Um, I'll post the video, you know, you've got a film coming out, haven't you, we should yes, say. Yes, should well. be out, yeah, in about a month or so. Yeah, so, um, I'll, so. I'll, I'll link to that when it, when it comes out. But there is a lot of stuff on the site and there's loads of little films which yes. people can watch that, that cover it. So when you look back at it now, what 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 stands out? Because it, you know, let's be honest, it looked really really hard. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, it was a lot harder than what I expected, and I think like physically for me, I actually felt like from a running perspective, a moving perspective, I actually got stronger and stronger throughout the project, and and felt like really good. So um, what are you doing, like seventy k a day, something like yeah, that? Yeah, it, it varied a lot. Like on certain days where it was really like mountainous and there's a lot of snow and ice, maybe. We covered like only 40, 45 k's a day, and then there were days where it was really like movable. You could do like 110 k's a day. So there was right. a lot of like, like variation in, in terrain dependence. Yes, but like on average, I think we did about 60 odd k's a day, um, right? Which was yeah, a fair amount to to cover. And uh, I think like mentally, which is really tough to just like day in and day out for like 24 odd days, just to like keep moving yeah. and not like stop. Like just waking up like every day and just like. Just like the whole time, all your my, or our focus was just to keep keep moving. Yeah. And, and the navigation was was really tricky, and, and luckily that really comes across in the films, actually. Yeah, like yeah. Rainer was a is is comes from an adventure racing background, and he's a really phenomenal navigator. I yeah. think if it, if the navigation was left up to me, I'd probably <laughs> still be somewhere around the start, right. going around in circles. So yeah, well, when you're tired and you know, and you try to find shelter and and, and you're hungry, and yeah. you know, like that that's when your decision making goes to shit isn't it you no know? for sure and, and yeah. you have to be really like on the ball and really switched on it and yeah Rayner's really really so good was, at that he was really good at yeah. keeping you on track yeah. but I, th I think it like just small things like that like navigation it takes up quite a bit of time like you probably spend like two hours a day just trying to make sure you're on, on the right route like the trails aren't marked it's a whole network of trails and obviously also with, with the snow and the ice um, a lot of the time we were kind of breaking fresh ground some of the passes right people hadn't been over because um, the wind because you said they'd had a big yeah, weather the, so. the late winter so we were yeah. some of the first people to go over some of those passes so right. that that made it quite challenging and i think yeah. just um that and, and for me i think also that the lack of sleep was probably yeah the thing that got to me the most especially so how, the, how much sleep a night then i'd say on, on average probably about five hours a night, four or five hours. And is that just because of the hours you were putting in? Yeah. Right. I think like, like it sounds like, uh, like if, if you add up like wasting like one to two hours a day, maybe a bit more on, on navigation, I wouldn't say wasting, but that's yeah, not, not forward movement. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm with you. And yeah. then like stopping for like lunch. Um, yeah. Like if, if you stop for a proper meal, like an omelet or, um, some some rice and stuff it's um, an hour dull, but yeah it's an hour at least probably yeah. like more like an hour and a half two hours yeah um, the locals are, are really awesome but they're pretty laid back and, and chilled out so <laughs> come with i'm trying try, you know yeah i've got a race to run <laughs> no, they, they, yeah so like if, if you add all that up you, you actually spend quite a bit of time during, during the day but that that's all part of the the, the adventure and, and like you definitely don't want to like rush those moments and you want to absorb that yeah so that that took quite a bit of time but then um yeah, the, I think it was the last five or six days. 
we didn't sleep at all. We were just kind of just kept pushing. Probably slept like one to two hours a night. We just yeah. kept going to try and get to the finish line as quick as possible and just kind of get it over and done with. And um, I think that really took a toll on me. Like, as I said, I was thought like physically I was getting stronger and stronger. And like I finished feeling like really good. And then like a couple of hours after finishing, I just completely right. crashed. And I was just like done like, and banned down. I mean, that's really interesting. So you say physically you felt stronger. So as in, because, you know, obviously one of the things that I want to talk to you about is is the relationship between your mental state and, and your physical state, because that must be fundamental to what you do. And that's a really interesting thing because that almost sounds like you tricked yourself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That almost sounds like you're, you said, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. And then as soon as the pressure's off, you actually realize the, the toll you've taken on your body. Yes. Is that kind of what it's like? Yeah, for sure. I definitely, like I think something, a project of this, this scale, you definitely put your body through so much. And um, I guess you almost just become like numb to it on a daily basis. So, so on that point, I mean, let's say major injuries notwithstanding, what kind of physical damage are you doing? You know what I mean? Because yeah. you must, every race you do, you must know what you're going to get. You know that you. Yeah. So what 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 does that look like? What's the kind of, what what's the norm? You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess like on or on um, the Himalayan project, like Rado got got frostbite. Yeah. Um, and that that was quite serious. Uh, he also kind of messed up both his knees qu- quite early on. So kind of trying to like move as quick as possible with kind of frostbite and and um, we didn't want to go and like go to like. A clinic or anything like that because we were really concerned that they were going to say cool you can't you go need, yeah, yeah you need to go and get help ASAP yeah. so there's always that playing on your mind like mentally and then like with his knees and then um, I guess there's, there's things like picking up stomach bugs um, doesn't sound that bad but like it really does does affect you and, and when you're feeling run down it like takes you a good couple of days to, to get back onto your feet like feeling good again and then when the two of you like things never happen at the same time, so you're yeah. kind of trying to manage that. Um, and I guess just your your body, like I think for me, my my feet took a bit of a beating at times, just yeah. kind of being on them for so long, blisters and, and, and that stuff must like be that. unavoidable, right? Yeah, I've, I'm quite lucky that um, I with Salomon, I, I get customized shoes, so, so my I've got quite wide feet, yeah. and uh, so that that helps a lot. That that um, uh, definitely like. In the past, I've got a lot of blisters, and now I find I get a lot less blisters just from uh, having a bit more room in my shoes and being able to to like kind of spread my forefoot out a bit. Yeah. But yeah, in general, you do pick up blisters, and again, like when even the smallest blister, when you're kind of having to move on your feet for 16 hours a day. Yeah, it's gonna. Yeah, it's gonna play on, play on your mind. <laughs> no, for sure. And then there's, I think, like so there's that, but I think probably the biggest thing was just like, like the mental aspect was definitely yeah. pretty. So, th- so challenging. Th- th- this is something that you must have to learn, right? I'm guessing to 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 throughout your career, really. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to relate it to my own experience, which is not obviously, obviously nothing like your experience. But I do. I mentioned this before we start recording. I swim long distance, so I do. I do swim races, like not ridiculous distances, but like 10k, 5k, and that yeah. and that's definitely enough for me to have done enough of those to have learned that how I mentally approach it makes just every bit of difference in the world much more than how much I've trained because I'll always train you know yes. if I've got to do a race I'm always going to train and the f- the very first for me long race I did I was just terrified really you know and it really affected how how badly how well I performed and in the end I performed really badly because yeah. I was just worried about actually doing it yeah and then I did it and obviously 
I was like, oh, well, I did that. And the next one I did, I was like, well, no, I can do it. Yeah. So, and it kind of went from there and it built, for me, it builds up incrementally. So is it on, is it a similar thing on your scale that you have to find where that point is actually that you can, or what you can deal with? Does, does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely like think it's like all relative. Yeah, like, that's kind of what I'm getting yeah. at. You know, you just kind of raise the bar of your own experience yeah. almost, right? Yeah, because that would say to me, like when we did that or like speaking to a journalist that like kind of, they feel that like, like adventure the word adventure has almost been like um, like made cheap like a lot of people say I'm going out and, and running around my park and that, that that's my adventure but but for, for me like for some people that, that is like a major yeah. adventure and they've got to as you say like kind of getting out the door and putting on their running shoes yeah. maybe is a major challenge for them and it's like running 5Ks around their park is, is well like, everybody's got those limits yes. and that's why it's relatable even though it's so you know yeah. extreme what you do you know that's a bad use of the word but you know what I mean like it compared to everybody else's experience but yeah. everybody knows I think you know that they might be aiming for a, to do a half marathon you yeah. know and when they first start that training ex- experience yes. it's going to be hard and yeah. you're going to have to push yourself and you're going to have to so everybody can relate to that feeling yeah so I think like everyone goes through like it's it's the same process um, and like as you say for me I think it's just like every time you just try and raise the bar a bit more but I think I kind of mentally kind of like it's nothing changes I think it's really it's, yeah how do you mean like I th- as I say I think it's all relative and, and for me like just breaking something down into bite-sized chunks whether it's like a hundred bite-sized chunks or a thousand bite-sized chunks or like ten bite-sized chunks so for me it's just kind of breaking it down into smaller increments like whether it's like running 5k's around a park or 100 miles I still like break it down into lots of like five sections okay. like mentally just make it more achievable right so Otherwise, you play you play you almost like play a mental trick yeah, on yourself def- yeah it's definitely it's just like cool let me get to that that tree or kind of right let me just get through five miles and then um, once i've done that it's like cool give myself a pat in the back and it's like well done and then right and, and, and then like yeah continue and do the next one so so that's a mental trick to 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 make your body perform further than it wants to yeah does that make is that is that what you mean yeah of? i yeah. think as, as you mentioned like i think when i find when i'm in a relaxed headspace and i'm in, in a good good headspace i definitely like physically perform better um, right so something like that um i find it really good just to be relaxed and calm and just like as i said it's, it's not like flip i'm running 100 miles today it's like i've just got to run like 5ks and then yeah when i get there run another 5ks and, and it's just like it's easier to stay like more positive and also, like, so, like you, with ultra running, you go through a lot of highs and lows. Yeah. And also, like, it's nice that, like, if you're going through a really low moment and, and you kind of achieve that little kind of, you get to that, that, that bite, end of that bite-sized chunk, it's like, cool, I can say, cool, I'm, I'm finished now. Right. I'm starting, I'm starting from, from a fresh. Okay. And almost, like, mentally, it, you feel a lot better. Kind That's of interesting. Starting a new little, like, segment. Yeah. Um, and I find that that, that really helps. Um yeah, I think like the mental side of things is so important. Like I know with the Himalayas, there was a two-day stretch where I really like missed my family, and that was like where I felt like physically the worst. It was right. just like I started to like I saw videos of Max, my son, and like he had like grown so much, and it was probably about like 18, 19 days in, into the project, and um, yeah, I just like felt like geez, like I'm, I'm missing so much of of him growing up. Like why am I doing this? And yeah. then like mentally, 
I like had a bad patch and then like physically I just felt like really bad so so you think the two are definitely connected yeah definitely yeah. like the, even the mind leading the body basically no for sure like so that's why I think like riding an ultra or just riding long distance or riding in general I think if, if you're in a good good headspace and you're enjoying it and you're having fun um, it makes kind of running you're just going to perform better and do better um, yeah. and I, th I think that's why I love trail running just being out in nature and in, in the mountains and like just having that direct interaction with nature is so important and uh, I think that that's what attracts me to the sport and that's why I grew up like doing a lot of surfing and, and surfing I find is very similar to trail running in a sense that you've got that direct interaction with nature where it's kind of paddling it into a wave or running up, up a mountain it's kind of the same thing in, in, in yeah. a way you kind of got that that kind of direct inter interaction and you're not worried about anything else you're just kind of living for that moment yeah yeah so how do you know when you when you've actually done damage though do you know what i mean because that that would be the thing that I, th that I think other people would worry about so if you so let's say again you're running a marathon and you and you you know you think you know like right my legs are fucked you know like yeah. how do you how do you know that you can keep going and not cause yourself real damage is that is there a light are you aware of like that relationship with your body now when it's like temporary and it's like a niggle and it's actually do you know yeah. what i mean because i think for most i'm just sort of extrapolating from my own experience but i think that that's a difficult thing for ordinary athletes to try and get through you know the the, the fear that actually i might be you know, doing I, I, damage. I might be doing damage so i better stop yeah or maybe that's your subconscious telling you to stop you know how do you know when it's real yeah i guess it's quite a tricky one and i think you've got to be really in tune with your body to to know like where do you actually can like push yourself and as you say it's just kind of like temporary kind of damage and whether and when it's long term um I definitely think I, I know the difference, but it's also quite tricky, like in a project like the Himalayas, when you're so focused on that end, end goal, you almost kind of, you're in this little bubble and, and you're almost like prepared to do long-term damage. Yeah. When like, then you kind of, after the project, you look back and you think like, was it worth it? Like, say with Rainer, with, with the frostbite and, and yeah. with his knees being really- He had really, a flogging, eh? Yeah. <laughs> with his knees being really damaged and, uh, or not damaged, but with his re like, he's been really I mean, sore that's, that's a great example because when I watched that clip that's exactly what I thought I thought yeah. well you know like if that was me I'd be thinking well I better stop because I'm going to yeah. really damage my knee but he's just like ah, oh, I'm going to keep <laughs> going you know yeah. they're going to have to carry me off this you know he doesn't say that but he's pretty much saying yeah. that so that's a great example where I was like wow so what, what is he thinking there you know to, to actually just run through that pain yeah no it's, it's as I say like uh, I think just like like throughout the project I think we we're both like so much in, in that little bubble but I think after when I was actually able to to process what we had done um, I definitely like look back and, and like kind of what Rainer put his body through was like just mind-blowing and I think just like mentally to keep keep going and just to like for him like quitting wasn't an option like right. as I say even towards the end he had like a bad day where um, his like heart rate is really high and is struggling to, to breathe and um, yeah just um feeling lightheaded and stuff and I was really concerned and yeah I think doing a project of this this scale like when you're in it with someone else like neither of us wanted to let each other down right yeah the camaraderie between you two really came across actually yeah so like I guess it, it could go either way couldn't it yeah like definitely you, you spend a lot of time with with each other and we know each other really well and, and as I say like we definitely both didn't want to let each other down but I also knew like he was just pushing his body so hard that I was worried that he was gonna like push it o over the edge and Arela's really really mentally strong yeah. so I was worried like he was gonna do permanent damage and also like beyond permanent damage like I was worried he was gonna kind of run himself to, to death just about on that, that day when he was so out of it and um, yeah. it was like a real concern and I didn't want to be the person that said like 
cool, you actually have to stop now and let's kind of call this a day and, and, yeah. and quit the project or on the flip side, be the person that kind of let him ride himself to, to death. So it, like that, that was like a, a really like challenging situation. But as you say, it, it's, you know, it is, is quite difficult. Like when you're running an ultra race, especially like when you're so focused on that end goal, like to actually know like whether you're doing permanent damage or whether you just um, yeah. kind of not being lazy, but like, when, tricking you yourself just, yeah when you can yourself keep, yeah to, keep to pushing give up. yourself yeah because that's what that's there's a little inner voice saying yeah. like this really hurts so no, for sure. so you should stop you know generally i think i know like i know like towards the end of a hundred mile it hurts and your legs are feeling super beat up and yeah your feet are hurting um and even sometimes your joints are a bit sore and stuff and you can't feel the difference i think i think there's I'd, i could, could gauge when i'm doing like when something's like injured as as opposed to just being being sore yeah um, so I've, i definitely have have got a good a good gauge on that and i think it's important just to be in tune with your body as possible and i think just to be as honest as possible with yourself and it's even been like for me after the himalayas just being like okay cool i put th- i put my body through quite a bit now i've got to give it time to recover you can't force things and try and yeah obviously i'd love to be back and running again like straight afterwards and as i said i thought i was going to be like Superman after the project because I felt like so strong right. the last few days but everything just crashed after the project and I just had to be accepted and just let my body recover and do what it had to do. So how long does that typically take? I'm not too sure. Like it's been like about two months now and um, I'm definitely feeling a lot better but like I haven't done like a huge amount of training and now I'm starting to try and get back into training a bit more and I think I'm just going to have to gauge and just be super open and honest and just take it as, as it comes like um, I'm running Ultra Trail Mont Blanc uh, at the end of August beginning of September so that's a big like focus well that, I mean I'm right in saying that's also a big ambition of yours yeah for for me that's like a race I'd love to do well yeah. I've, is that the next one after kind of Western States yeah. to sort of tick off yeah, yeah. definitely that, that's one like I want to get a good good result at so yeah. like yeah just kind of wanting to focus on that uh, but at, at the same time, I think going into a race like, like that, you're also going to be well rested and, and recovered. So I think I've just got to be as honest and, and open with, with, with myself and just kind of take it like day in and day out and just not, not kind of put too much pressure on myself from a training, training point of view. Yeah, so when will you start ramping that up? I guess that's another experience thing, right? Yeah, um, I found now like I do a lot, a lot better with like just kind of consistent training. So I'll start ramping it up now, but I'll... I'm more like about eight weeks out to do a lot more training. Yeah. And then kind of have a, like a two-week kind of easy build-up to, to the race. So I'll probably only do like six weeks of, of big mileage, like big, big mileage, and, and try and do some of it out in Europe. And I'm going to be in, in Europe in, in July. So yeah, I'll do some training on, on the route there and, and be around Chamonix and, and try and get as much training in as possible and then like back off a bit. Um, I've been at, at the sport for quite a while now. So... Um, like I've realized that I can get away with a lot less training. And right. Actually, is that mental experience thing again, right? Yeah, I, th- I think the mental ex- experience and also just like, yeah, I think I've got the mileage in, in my legs and also just like, I want to like prolong my career for as long as possible. Yeah. There's a big tendency for, for young guys to come into the sport and just do like crazy high mileage. So some guys will run like 200 mile weeks, but wow. then they only last for yeah. like Does two they, years. They're really good for two years. They just like smash so every race out, yeah, out the water and then they're just kind of blown up where I've been at it for about 11 years now. So yeah, I'd like to be able to, to get a couple of more like strong races out, out my legs. So yeah. Yeah. I think just like prolonging, yeah, just kind of trying to 
get as much recovery in as possible. I think it's like you stress your body, but then you gotta give it sufficient time to recover. And that, like that, in that recovery phase is when you're actually kind of gaining the, the most. Yeah. And do you have a? You know, we've talked about the, the physical recovery. Do you need a, a mental recovery as well? Do you, did you do you experience a similar kind of euphoria followed by not exactly depression? You know what I mean, though. But downs. Yeah. Like, does that happen as well? Yeah, for sure. I think like after Himalayas, obviously, as I say, like there was yeah like a massive amount of stoke and I guess kind of relief to finish but like afterwards you're definitely like walking around like on a certain amount of high and then definitely like mentally I crashed a bit and I was like I didn't want to see running shoes for a while and I think it's actually to be honest only been the last few days like being around London um, I've been getting I'm finding I've been getting a bit like edgy and and like it's like cool I'm ready now to, to start running to do something else yeah but for the last two months if I'm completely honest I haven't been that that empty right like I've gone out to be in the back of Table Mountain and been stoked to, to go and just mess around with mates, but there's been no like goal or drive. Yeah. And it's, to be honest, like it's only been the last few days where I've sort of thinking like, cool, like UTMB is, is kind of end of August, UTMB's uh, Ultra Trail Mont Blanc, I want to give it a bash now, and like now I'm ready to, to give it a bash. So I think it's so important to give yourself that, that mental break. And a, a lot of athletes make that, that, that mistake, like you're so focused on just like getting back into the ne- next thing. And, and I think a lot of guys that are into ultra running have a really strong like mind and yeah. they sort of I think that their mind can actually break their body and yeah. I've, I've, I've done that too to myself and I've kind of learned from experience and so now I just try and after each race or big project just try and back off give my time to give myself enough time to to like mentally recover and, and build that hunger and, and passion again yeah and, and like you say that sounds like something again that you you need to recognise yeah. if you're going to do what you, what you do because no, you just got to be, I think, honest with, with yourself. And it's really easy to kind of preach that, but, like, you actually have to practice what, what you preach. And at times, I, I still get it wrong. Like, if I was coaching someone, I'd say, take four weeks off and forget about running. But I know yeah. often when you're the person thinking, oh, flip, but there's, like, a big race in three months' time, I, I want to start running again. Yeah. Um, you kind of push yourself into too quickly. So, yeah, I guess just with, with experience kind of yeah comes that like kind of mental side yeah yeah I mean don't want to overplay the kind of the the relationship to 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 physical pain and suffering because I'm sure you hear it a lot but I think it is to a layman like me and certainly to to some of my friends that I was when I told them I was going to interview I think that is a fascinating part of it because it's so far removed from what most people can relate to is is that side of it attractive is that is it is it something that you would that you learn to enjoy yeah, I definitely think so. Like, it's yeah. I, I I think there's. I think it's all like quite variable. Like I think like the, the mental like element to running something like the the, the Himalayas to to running um, for twenty four days consecutively is very different to running a hundred miler. Sure. And it's almost like I almost feel like I know I'm ready for UTMB now because like I'm actually really looking forward to like really like burying myself like mentally. It, into the race like I know you, you almost like mentally have to be excited like you know you're going to go to some really like dark places but right. like really like look forward to it and yeah, you know, it's, it's hard to like describe but I, th- I think when you're kind of going through those like really dark mental patches like the whole like world just like slows down and you like almost just feel like you're running like like the whole world is like moving but but you just kind of standing still you're almost like running on the, on the spot and I think that just like everything becomes so clear and you just feel like you're so like in the moment and you actually really 
like just like living life to to the fullest and then to actually get through that that that, that moment and, and then you just have like this high um, you kind of go through a low and a high and i find the lower your low your higher your high right and so it's that, just, yeah that's something that you learn to enjoy yeah it is that it's, process yeah it's definitely something you you, you enjoy I mean, I mentioned earlier the book by uh, before we started recording. So Murakami, the Japanese author, what, yeah. I, what I talk about when I talk about running, got a quote from him, which is, "If pain seems to be a, a precondition for this type of sport, if pain weren't involved, who on earth would go to the trouble in taking part in it? It's precisely because of the pain, because we want to overcome that pain, that we can get the feeling through the process of really being alive, or at least a partial sense of it, which is kind of what you're talking about, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, I definitely think that kind of pain and suffering makes you feel alive, and it, I think for me, it just puts everything in perspective, and it almost makes me like appreciate life and, and what we have so much more by by kind of going through the, these experiences. Um, I guess it sounds pretty crazy to an outside person. Not really. Like, I just think it's really knowing that, that that must be the appeal of it because you're learning to understand yourself to that, that yeah. really intimate degree and, no, and, 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 and learn the relationship between those those highs and lows and learning to overcome it, yeah. You know, which is, takes incredible mental fortitude, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. another thing he says in that book is pain is inevitable, suffering is optional, which is kind of an interesting idea, isn't it? You know, yeah. the idea that you have to choose whether you're going to suffer from the pain, which again is something that I think most people kind of can't really get their head around because it doesn't seem like a choice to most people. No, but I, I think with, with pain, like you also, you can see it as a negative or a positive. And like, I try and like see it as, as, as a posit- positive and it's, it's a choice I've made and, and like you just have to accept it. Right. And you, you can't fight it. Yeah. And, and you just yeah, have to be willing and, and open to it. Um, as crazy as, as it sounds, but yeah, if, if you I wouldn't say like appreciate it, but if you yeah, if, if you're just more accepting to it and, and um yeah, don't don't try and fight it. It does it does pass. Um yeah. and, and you do kind of have those moments of, of euphoria afterwards. Um and it's also something that, that I find that I'm not scared of. Right, and, and I'm like open to it, and yeah, I, I guess um, yeah, it's just kind of. It's also I find it like really interesting knowing like how far like finding that that balance, that fine balance between knowing how far you can push your body, and I guess I'm always trying to like as we've spoken about earlier, just keep trying to push that bar a little bit more. Does that and does that lead to sort of diminishing returns you know what I mean because the further the further you raise that bar presumably the more difficult it must be to get to this point that you're talking about yeah uh, especially in like a hundred miler like I found when I did my first hundred miler the Leadville hundred miler in 2011 like mentally I pushed myself to a place that I've never been to before so that was the first one yeah right. the first the first year like yeah. hundred miler but then it took me until like last year at Western States to really kind of find that like mental groove again really just to like can you, ex- can you explain that a little bit then? Because that's really interesting. So what was it yeah. about the first... What what happened on that first like, I experience? Definitely, I definitely, like, in all the other races I've run, like, you definitely, like, push yourself, like, mentally to another, like, level. But it's just to, like, be able to take it one step further. Like, it's just, like, I think you go to, like, a really primal state. Right. It's, like, you're really, like, animal-like. Yeah. And it's, like, to something you... To get through it, almost. Yeah, and, and it's almost something, like, you crave, and it's something that... Like almost like what excites me about UTMB is is that like I've got the opportunity to kind of go to that 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 place again. And, right. Um, yeah, I guess after like Leadville, it took me a really long time to to get there. 
and I think you almost have to be like quite accepting to it and like really calm and and like relaxed. And, right. And if you like too tense and worked up, you almost yeah you don't you're not like you're not like able to push your body to and like or you're not be able to push your mind to to kind of that um, that 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 far. Um, but it's yeah it's, it's it's quite hard to describe. But it's just like yeah really like like crazy like as I say like everything just slows down and you're just like so focused and so like like a second almost feels like an hour it's just like you're so like in the, in the like so in, in, in that little bubble so what was it about western states you, you used the word groove which is an interesting choice of word you know saying like to get back into that groove yeah. so what was it about that, that second experience that because um, presumably again you've had all that experience there's another question I want to ask you about that race actually in a, in a minute but so what was similar I think like I was just like very like I was very like relaxed going into the race and just like in like a happy headspace right and I was really like focused on like running my own race and not worried too much about the competition around me I just um, well you were quite tactical from what I could tell Cause yeah because who's the who's the guy oh uh, yeah Jim, Jim Wormsley like yeah. went out really so really you, fast you um, talked about that quite a lot and what I've, and you were saying that you were basically waiting for him to blow up really yeah because he because he you knew he was going to set this crazy pace and yeah i knew he was going to blow up but i didn't know to like what degree yeah. so like but was that so that's really interesting because you you were still able to enjoy the experience on your own terms i mean you won so that's amazing but, yeah but presumably when you when you can see somebody with that game plan and you need to kind of like reconcile your own game plan with that and you kind of you know relying on him to blow up but was that something that you could that sounds like an experience thing again. You know, the ability to enjoy, to think, well, that's that. I'm going to run my race, and if that happens, I might win. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? No, right. it, it was 100% that. Like, I really wasn't too focused on, on gym, and um, I was, yeah, like, it enabled me to, to really run my own race and, and focus on, on myself and try to get the best out of me. Um, and, like, I knew gym was going to blow up to a degree, but he might have not. And, and if, if he had had that, that race and run some 14 hours, then... I would have high fived him after the the race and said like well done. Yeah. But still be like stoked with 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 my race. I th- I think it's just for me like with maturity I've I've kind of figured that um like yeah it's it's important just to kind of really focus on on like doing the best I can do and not like worry too much about the things around me that I can't control and just really kind of right. control what I can control and, and that like enables me to to really kind of push my mind um to like a whole another another level to, to try and find that groove yeah that you're looking to, for yeah yeah which makes it which really helps to contextualize what you said earlier about like well yeah fair enough like well first the one thing but like the actual the, the experience for yeah. you is is what's what you remember and what's motivating you no for sure um yeah i, I think for for me it's something like like for it's all it's all about the the experience like a lot of stuff like i'm not actually like super stoked to have won Western States and to have set a fastest no, no time on, on, on part of the, the Great Himalaya Trail but I don't think that that's like the main reason why why I do that is it, it's for those ex- experiences and, and, and yeah just to, to be able to kind of look back one day and have some really cool memories yeah yeah we must have a few of them now yeah. so I think it'd be be good to to chat a little bit about how you got into it I don't want to make you like you know exhaustively tell the story yeah. because you from what i gather you got into it quite late right yeah i only got into running uh, last year at university um, so I how think old were you then i was 26 i mean that's so, yeah yeah 25 26 so it was pretty late do you um, have a background in it 
Sorry. Did you have a background uh, in it? No. Um, my dad read it. Read a few uh, like ultra road races, and we got the two oceans uh, run in, in Cape Town, and he did that. So. I guess growing up watching him run those and growing up watching comrades um, and um, it was probably like just something that was part of my makeup but I never it was never something that appealed to me at, at school I played a lot of rugby and, and surfed and yeah so you had so a, you, you were fit and you had a foundation yeah I was, yeah, I was, you were, I was you fit yeah and, you and I've always enjoyed the outdoors and and, yeah. and and that type of thing so you still surf um, when I get get the opportunity, probably not as much as, as I'd like to, but uh, yeah, it's definitely saying I want to do more of it. And I guess I'm hoping with, with Max growing up now, maybe he'll, yeah, yeah. maybe if he gets into surfing or kind of gets it into, maybe it's bodyboarding or just being in, in the ocean, I'll do, yeah. do a bit more of that, that with him. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Um, so you did the first 126 and that was yeah. a marathon, right? Yeah. So that was, yeah, last year at university and yeah, all my mates are running the half marathon and I guess... I just thought, what, what the heck? I couldn't actually get into the half marathon. The entries are full, so I thought marathon, um, half marathon, same thing. So I entered the the full <laughs> marathon, and they all little laughed. Clue, at, little clue there. Yeah, they they all laughed at me and thought I, I like was crazy, but um, I managed to finish it on pretty pretty minimal amount of training and actually really enjoyed it. And just that that feeling of fulfillment of completing something. What time um, did you get? I think it was about three hours fifteen or yeah. so. So bang that out first go. Yeah, so I was, I was yeah, quite quite happy. That was actually classified as a road marathon, but it was mainly like off-road. Um, right. So, and I think that, that yeah, I think very early on, uh, living on the backslopes of Table Mountain, I got into trail running after that. Um, and just, I've always been an all-or-nothing person. And I did a couple of shorter trail races on Table Mountain, about 35 Ks. And then one day I was just like googling extreme trail races and I popped the four deserts uh, website and yeah. I, I saw I saw this race um, in the in the Gobi Desert I didn't actually even know where the Gobi Desert was but it, it looked pretty cool and a really out there adventure so and that just to just to sort of make the distinctions so they're like state multi-stage right yes yeah yeah so that was a, a 250 kilometer stage race yeah. over six days so it was something yeah I guess it was it was pretty like a big uh, jump up like going from a 35 kilometer trail race or, or a marathon a road marathon to, to riding a 250 uh, kilometer race which is self-supported you have to carry everything on, on, on your back was was yeah. yeah i guess pretty crazy but as i said i've always been an all-or-nothing person so yeah it was and, and also just i think the main thing there was just like this crazy out there adventure was something that really appealed to me so i kind of borrowed some money from my dad and an interest-free loan and, and entered the, the race and um before I knew it, I was lining up at, at, at the start of, of the Gobi Desert Race. And, um, yeah, I, I guess from there, um, things just naturally progressed. Yeah. And, um, and, so they, and yeah, you, found, you found that you, that was that was your thing? That's what you wanted to do? Yeah, because um, I actually, yeah, I studied at university. University, I studied quantity surveying at the University of Cape Town. And I worked for a property development company for a year and a half. And then, um, yeah, after doing the Gobi Desert Race, and then after that, I did the Sahara Desert Race. And I spent a lot of time with Dean Konazas there, who um, I think was one of the first ultramarathon runners to actually be a full-time professional. And he right. gave me a lot of advice and a lot of help. And it was he or someone I really looked up to. And, and um, yeah, after spending some time with, with him, I decided like I was still young enough to, to make a go at this. And uh, yeah, I quit, quit my job and um, started running full-time like right. pretty, pretty early on. And yeah. Um, yeah, so that was pretty cool um 
within a, I guess a space of like 18 months um, I'd gone from running the, the Gobi Desert Race to, to running like full time and being able to, to live my dreams and kind of uh, yeah, man. do some pretty cool things amazing so and you've clocked up quite a few I mean I'll put a full list on my show notes to, to you know to some of the achievements that you that you've accomplished but you know the obvious question is what's what's kind of next I know you said the UMTB but like what what after that you know because after something like the Himalayan yeah is is obviously like a re, like a huge project like yeah. emotionally physically mentally financially I'm sure as yeah. well um, yeah I guess a lot of people said like like what like from like racing wise is obviously Ultra Trail Mont, Mont Blanc and there are a couple of other other races um, that I'd like to like to run uh, but I I think where I am in my career, I really enjoy doing the free running projects or the more adventure, like kind of stuff like like the the Greater Milan Trail. And I'm definitely looking at, at future projects. But a lot, a lot of guys have said, uh, people have said, um, like, how are you going to better that? And for me, it's, it's not about bettering it. Like, there's no ways I'll ever be able to better the, the Himalayas. And it's not like I want to do something more extreme. No. Um, it's just finding things that appeal to me. And yeah. I'm really passionate it's about... Like a match experience, right? Yeah. Exactly. So I'm really passionate about about um, Africa. Um, so I'm looking at a few projects around there. Um, there's a project on on the Skeleton Coast in, in, in Namibia. I'd like to. I'm kind of still trying to okay. map it out uh, fully, but that that's something I'm, I'm looking at to to like do something out there. Um, it's closer to home, but it's also again I, I think it'll be quite a wild experience, and I'm kind of yeah dreaming up a, a few concepts so, um, so is that that's like the shipwreck coast right yes like there's sort of is that like a about 100 mile stretch of coastline where yeah. it's like completely inaccessible there's like one road it's, it's where the wave is isn't it it's where the crazy left yeah, is yeah they've got yeah lo- loads of waves yeah, up, up yeah. there so it's about five there's about 500 k's of of coastline that's right the, 500 k's yeah right, that, okay. that's the, the official skeleton coast so yeah. i want to do something out there i think it's also pretty cool that uh it's obviously very, really sandy, and then I started my, my career in, in sand. So yeah, yeah, okay. That's yeah. Right. Um, wow. So another another it, pretty uh, pretty punishing sounding project. Yeah, it's, and I think also I enjoy mixing things up. Yeah. Like, I love big and big mountains, but I don't want them to define me. It's it's like I enjoy like running it in the sand or the deserts or the jungle. Um, also looking at doing stuff maybe on on a volcano. So it's like I think for for me it's just. Yeah, constantly challenging myself and, and finding new stuff to to do for, as you say, for like the, those new and different experiences. And are you are you working with? Is that where your sponsors come in? They can help you like plan these projects and 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 basically pick pick the next one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as I said, like for Skeleton Coast, I'm just um, kind of conceptualizing the the idea, but it's definitely I've been chatting to to Red Bull uh, about things, and they're a really cool brand to to work with. Um, that like you come up with the most crazy ideas and like probably most people say don't be stupid like it's never going to happen but but Red Bull like wow this is so cool how can we make it happen so it's it's really cool that that kind of they get behind athletes to to like enable projects and they like just say here's a blank page like write down or put down whatever you want to do and, and let's see how we can try and make it happen so to have to have like guys like that to, to work with is obviously really cool and enables me to kind of keep dreaming up crazy and, and stupid ideas yeah yeah um, and one of the things I wanted to ask you about as well was uh, you, you do do some work some charitable work right you work yes. with, with, with kids is that right yeah so, I'd, so can I'd, you tell me a little bit more about that yeah so I'm, I'm, an, I'm an ambassador for, for the Laureus Foundation yeah um, they do a lot of stuff with 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 kids around around the world and, and just kind of using 
uh, sport to to empower kids. Um, and then I've also done done some stuff with, with also like local underprivileged communities in, in, in South Africa. Um, yeah, I think for me, sports given me so much, and I'm I'm really passionate about South Africa and, and trying to make it a better place. And I think some of the kids I've worked with, they're just they're growing up in such harsh environments, which just with like no hope, and they're surrounded by like violence and abuse and just no hope and I think just a simple thing like uh, being able to run 5k's or to play soccer or rugby it just like gives us something to aspire to and like for them to be able to see like Brian Abana on, on TV playing rugby and, and to kind of aspire to that or maybe see myself running or, or like someone like just to, to give them hope and, and I think um, it's so important to, to give back and try and um, create that that, that, that change and yeah. and, and um, yeah, for, for me is really important. It's also like what I'm passionate about going going forward. I've definitely got a, got a few more projects I'd, I'd like to do, and um, yeah, I, I just think like there's so much you can do with with like a simple thing like like sport or, or running. Um, Seemed like sport had a real real importance in sort of post-apartheid South Africa. It seemed, it seemed yeah. like in the '90s in particular, it really it was a hugely positive thing, right? That, yeah, that that was no. was a transformative kind of thing for the for the nation right is that yeah fair to say no for sure i think sports the one thing that that's been able to completely like unite south africa and like brings people together i think looking back at the rugby fire at uh, the 1995 rugby world cup where uh probably like a lot of south africans uh especially that were kind of under apartheid probably saw like uh like uh rugby as as more uh Kind of of middle class white sport. Yeah, as, yeah, yeah, as, as yeah. a white sport. And then, like, seeing that, but then um, just by South Africa making the, the, the finals and just the whole country getting behind uh, South Africa and just everyone, like, celebrating their, their victory, definitely, I guess, for, like, a couple of hours or a couple of days, everyone, like, forgot about kind of yeah. segregation or kind of white and, and black. Or Pretty soon after as well, wasn't it? Yeah, like after after the end of apartheid, it was what like three years or something. Yeah, no, it was yeah, like, yeah, three or four four years after yeah. apartheid. So, yeah, it was, it was really quick. So, yeah, I've just seen like yeah how kind of sport can can it, it, it inspire people and, and bring people together. And, and I think more importantly, as I say, give give the youth um, like hope. Um, like a lot of the the places I go to are really like disadvantaged areas. And like as I mentioned, there's there's a lot of like gangsterism and, and drugs and um, for a lot of kids, like that's that's their only hope. Like they see guys making money by selling drugs, so they want to go into that. Whereas if you yeah. could like let them kick a, a soccer ball around, and maybe they see, wow, if, if I can become something at, at soccer, like maybe there, there's hope for me. Well, it's just think, a different role model, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's just it's just showing people a different different path, isn't it? One of the one of the themes from from doing these interviews with people has been that really like yeah. ev- everybody seems to have had the moment when they saw there was a possibility of a different life yeah whether it was a mentor whether whatever it was you know what and that that's kind of what you're giving people isn't it you know giving yeah. people have got this like real set path for them in the life and just say well no actually there's other there's another world yeah i mean that's, no, it's that's, ex- exactly that's the point, that. isn't it you yeah know? and also if i think as you say for them to see that their opportunities like a lot of the kids like necessarily won't become professional no, sportsmen but it's to, to give them hope and for them to see okay if, if actually if, if I work towards something maybe if, if I work hard at, at school I can actually go and get a scholarship to go to university and, and get a, exactly. a degree or something like that or to see 
that if if I, if I actually put like work into something or if I'm passionate about something and, and I work hard at it, I can I can achieve something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, again, I'll put a link up. Yeah. Well, Ryan, we're on an hour. It's gone oh, quick, cool. eh? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed that, man. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for for chatting. It's been rad. Yeah, and thanks for taking the time, dude. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Cool. So there you go. That was my chat with Ryan. Uh, yeah, we got on really well, which I think came across in that one. So big thanks to him for making such an effort to come and meet me in London and share his story with the Looking Sideways community. His film about the Great Himalayan Trail epic is out soon. So make sure you watch that one when it drops. Um, right, housekeeping corner. And I received a really lovely email recently, which I'm going to share with you. Yeah, more absolutely shameless self-promotion. But it is my podcast. So uh, yeah, I'm going to... I'm going to read this one out. It came in from Daniel Scott, who from the sounds of it has been a long-time listener and is a first-time caller. Daniel writes, I just wanted to say thanks for stepping up and exceeding any hopes I'd had to listening to people from the world of action sports and other related endeavours. Nice. Uh, Once upon a time, I spent over a decade of summer and winters in the Swiss Alps. Life was heading in a way that meant we'd stay there. Anyhow, the birth of my first son brought us back to Blighty for a time. Always thought we'd head back, but life changed course. Now I find myself with another son and still in Blighty. It's been a hell of a road coming back to the UK after leaving when I was only 17. And of course, becoming a dad as well. But shredding in all its forms has kept me just about sane. Might be garbling on too much, but really my main aim was to say thanks. Thanks for creating a closer network within an already tight industry. Thanks for amazing insights into amazing people's lives. Thanks for doing it off your all off your own back. Thanks for unknowingly creating a communal consciousness between people who choose to immerse themselves in nature and shred by whatever means they wish. Wow. I've had a bit of shit for my tagline, actually, so I might adopt that one, mate. It's a good line, that. Anyway, I'll finish. This is Daniel, not me. Um, I'll finish by saying you've motivated me to show my boys the ways of the oceans and mountains with more determination, and I'm sure it will make their lives all the better for it. Wow. Daniel also sent me a picture of his son, Nico, wearing a looking sideways top which was, I mean, Nico looked like he was fresh out of the mould. I put that on Instagram, actually. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I know I say it every time, but stuff like that really does make the uh, sheer amount of time I spend on this thing really worthwhile. Hugely gratifying to know that people are enjoying it so much, getting so much out of it. Um, I mean, this whole podcast thing is definitely shaping up to be a bit of a life's work, to be honest. It's going to be plenty more of them, but yeah, those these, these missives from people that are obviously getting so much out of it are, are really, really welcome. And uh, yeah, thanks, man. Really appreciate that. Elsewhere, still time to enter the competition I'm running to win two adult camping tickets to the Fourth Quinn Black Deer Festival, which is being held in Kent over the weekend of the 22nd to 24th of June 2018 and looks ace to enter. Just send me a picture of yourself wearing Looking Sideways merch. That's it. That's all you got to do. Send it to podcast at wearelookingsideways.com. Had a few entries already. I have to say, if you get round to entering, the chances of you winning are really quite stratospherically high because I've not had that many entries. So get on it. Head on over to www.lookingsideways.tmail if you need to purchase to support. And then send me a picture. Sweet. That's it. Look forward to seeing what comes in. Anyway, there you go. Episode 45 down. Episode forty, episode fifty is uh, is very much on the horizon. I'm actually heading to Croyd this weekend. The waves have perfectly died just in time for my arrival and perfectly pick up again on the Monday when I leave. But you know, whatever. 
uh, hoping to catch up with none other than Andrew Cotton for another catch up. Now, Cotty was actually the very first person I interviewed for the podcast, even though it wasn't the first one I put out. And I got to say, I was still very much working out what the fuck I was doing when I spoke to Cotty. And I'm really looking forward to catching up with him once again and finding out how he's been doing since a very well-publicised accident in Nazare earlier this year. So uh, hopefully I can meet up with Andrew and sort that one out. So yeah, keep listening for that one. Yeah, in the meantime, thanks a lot and I'll see you later. (laughs) 